0: Welcome, my friends. Welcome to my world. I'm your host, Kevin Rutherford. It is time for another episode of our blood sugar ketone mini series. Joining me again, I have Jessica Ernst. She's the clinical education director for Keto Mojo. And we have a special guest coming back to join us today as well. Dorian is here, Mr. Mojo, the founder of Keto Mojo. So, uh, Dorian, welcome.
1: Ah, so, so honored to be on, on the show. Thank you for all that you do and for your community. It's, it's great to be here.
0: Yeah, great to have you. And Jessica, welcome back. We, uh, we had such a great time on the last episode. I asked you if you'd sit in with us and uh, throw, throw a few comments at us once in a while on this episode. So thank you.
2: Absolutely. Thanks for inviting me back.
0: Yeah, so uh, Jessica and I talked a lot about the big picture in the last episode. You know, diets in general, uh, the types of fuels the body can run on. Um, Today we want to really start to get specific about ketones, but I I think repetition helps. So let's kind of go back in, um, just cover the two fuels we're talking about that the body can run on. The body can run on glucose or sugar or carbohydrates Uh, So glucose is a carbohydrate, but it's not the only carbohydrate. Um, The body can use carbohydrates for energy. And in most parts of the world today, certainly the um, first world countries, almost everybody does run on sugar. Uh, That just seems to be what happens with the standard American diet and most other first world countries. Our diet has so many carbohydrates in it that we become pure sugar burners. As long as there is a carbohydrate around the body really doesn't wanna start burning the other fuel, which we'll talk about, which is fat. So it will always burn through the carbohydrates first. And if we just keep loading it up with carbohydrates, we burn sugar all our life. And it turns out it's not a great thing. It's not the clean metabolic fuel that fat can be. We can run on it, but it seems to Mm -hmm. cause a lot of problems. Um, So our body could also run on fat. And as long as we don't have carbohydrates present, it will convert and start running on fat. And a lot of things change. I mean, we've talked about it. Appetite goes way down. uh, Satiety goes up. Energy goes up. Um, a, A lot of good things seem to happen when we are running on fat. So. Um, Dorian, let's kind of I, we may confuse some people with this because we always talk about fat as kind of the energy source. Where, where do ketones come in here? There's like three forms, and um, why don't you give us kind of the back to the basics on on ketones themselves? What are they, and how does that correlate with our body burning fat? Right,
1: that's a good question. um But I kind of like want to kind of like sit back just a little bit, you know. I'm of, I'm very biased to ketones. So everything that comes out of my mouth is definitely going to be directed <laughs> towards uh, the, the, the bias of ketones. But, you know, there's, I'm um, I, I firmly of the belief that nutritional ketosis is actually our default status. And we have short circuited that, um, utilizing the standard American diet over you know, especially the last 100 years, but actually if you go back to the agricultural revolution of of 10,000 years ago, this is where it really started to happen. Because if we look at our pre-ancestral history, then we go back like 2.5 million years, our food of choice was meat and fat. If you are with your tribe and you've got a choice between picking a tiny seed out of a meadow (laughs) or taking down an elk... You're going to take down that elk and feed your family for months. And, and that's what we actually did. If we take a look at the pH of our stomach, our stomach actually has the same pH as a hyena. We were designed to eat meat. And you can trace that to maybe that to the pH of the stomach and the guts of a, a gorilla. They have been designed to eat um, leaves. So the two very things. So what happens is if we take a look at what we've done, what happens if you take a look at, I like to think of Egypt as an example. In Egypt, there used to be jungles and tigers and large fauna, and they ate them all. And then they were left to pick seeds. And this was the breadbasket of Mesopotamia. They found that they had a shelf stable product before they had refrigerators, and it allowed them to grow and armies to march. But it did not necessitate that fact that it's the best and optimal way. And this is when we saw the first rise of non-communicable diseases was actually in, in Egyptian times. And so I think fundamentally we need to kind of like take a look and think of ketones as maybe the default. Source, and that we have now short-circuited our bodies and our brains by utilizing carbohydrates. I, I'm so
0: glad you oh. you went back to that. I, I think that's excellent. I couldn't agree with it more. There's there's so much evidence that that was really the case, and there's been a lot of argument about what you know hunter gatherers okay. really ate. I, I'm I'm pretty well convinced that there was not a hunter gatherer on the planet that would eat a plant if there was an animal available. I truly believe that plant food was was emergency food, secondary food. And I even went and did some research on animals that are considered omnivores. You know, I would have always thought that a, a wolf is a carnivore. It does belong to the carnivore group, but they claim it's not a true carnivore. It has molars, it can grind up bones, and it can eat, you know, plant material. And, and sometimes they do, not all that often, One of the things they do if they take down a a plant eater, they eat the guts and they're getting some plant material there and some fermented material. But I I don't think that makes them an omnivore, although there are a lot of animals we we put into this category of omnivore because they might eat, you know, my dog will eat some berries off the bush once in a while. But for the most part, I I don't think there are any omnivores that I could find that plants are their primary food. It's really tends to be, they tend to be meat eaters that can handle some plant foods once in a while and only seem to eat them for survival reasons.
1: Correct, correct. And of course, uh, another thing, you know, we can look at the hi- historical record, but we of course can look at the modern record. Um, There's a great Japanese study that um, what done. Uh, I think it was... Uh, ketone bodies in fetus and newborns during uh, uh, during normal delivery and gestational diabetes uh, delivery. And they found that during the second and third trimester, um, even eating a, um, a a Japanese diet, which is obviously heavy on fish and they has got some carbohydrates there, that the mother in the second and third trimester was in a mild ketotic state. Uh, when the child was born, the child was born in a mild ketotic state, but more importantly, the placenta was extremely high when they measured the umbilical cord and the placenta. It must have been 2.0 millimoles. So malcatholic state is about 0.4 millimoles for it and it's 2.0. So if you kind of like think about it, if neurological development of a child is the most important and it's already being drip-fed ketones and it has a large buffer in the placenta and then once that child is born, the mother is going to... um, uh, breastfeed it and uh, help me out here uh, Jessica if you want to dive on in on the composition of the best milk but from what I've learned on it it is a ketotic um, uh, fluid and if brain development is the most important for the year and that's what they recommend uh, for a um, uh, best breastfeeding for the year for development Cheetos is the default. It's what we are, uh, were born uh, into. And also kind of like interesting, if, uh, if you think we always, we, we look at babies and they, well, look at that chubby bub. Look at that that, that, that fat that's on the baby. Well, when it was during the pregnancy, it's been flip through the umbilical cord but once it's born, it's now getting episodic feedings so how does it get its energy during these episodes when it's been used to being drifted it gets it from metabolizing its bodily fat on it that's the safety storage that was built in over the millennia and so ketones to my mind based on these kind of evidence is the default fuel source for the human and optimal
0: life I, I agree. And uh, Jessica, I, I thought of something, I said, you know, jump in once in a while and throw some comments at it. But but then I remembered, um, it's yeah. Dorian and myself, you're going to have to get a crowbar to get a word in here. Dorian even asked for a comment and then kept right on going. So, um. You know what, you guys are doing a great job. I'll- so go ahead. I don't
2: disagree so far. I don't. Yeah. yeah tell Dorian us about I have the, the, the compo-
0: composition of breast milk, mother's breast milk.
2: Well, you know, so so the, for the first few days of life, um, the mother creates colostrum, which is extremely, extremely high in fat, many, many calories per gram per milliliter. Um, hence why, you know, another reason why babies don't need a ton of volume of milk is because it is so dense in calories um so dorian and i actually had this conversation with our team a few weeks ago about exactly what he just said and i just i find it so fascinating that and agree that this likely is the default state that we should all be in and that babies are born into it's quite fascinating
0: you you know what's interesting let's take that one step further um, and I'll go back and use myself as as an example. I was born in the early '60s, and our our food supply was nowhere near as bad as it is now, but it was pretty bad. I mean, it, it you know the the food supply really started changing around the turn of uh, you know 1900 or so. We started seeing some fake fats, things like Crisco, and um, more. You know, processed food really came around more so after World War II. So. We were getting the beginning of that kind of stuff in the 60s, TV dinners, and then cereal started really becoming popular. I have to wonder, um, even myself, I I look back at the history of how I ate, and we didn't eat a ton of processed food. My mom cooked a lot, but but I started thinking. Even somebody my age, if we start looking at 20-year-olds today, I'm sure I'm right about this. But is it possible that up until I was 50 and specifically did a ketogenic diet, is it possible that I never experienced ketosis in my entire life?
1: Probably only when you were born for yeah. uh, so that brief period. And I can't remember that. You would probably <laughs> able
0: to it. Exactly.
1: <laughs> but why don't
0: you got on to Well, wait a minute. Formula, there's an, there's another problem. Yeah, I wasn't breastfed. I was a formula baby. Right, which means that, um,
1: um, you know, the formula actually is a little bit more higher carb um, compared to mother's um, breast milk. So there would be a challenge with that too
0: so it it's interesting to try to explain to somebody how good you're going to feel. I, I'm like you. I' am a firm believer in ketones. They are amazing things. but it it's hard to describe to somebody how you're going to feel because most adults haven't experienced it.
1: right precisely.
0: And then, you know, and
1: that's the interesting piece is when, you know, when you talk about the, the keto clarity that can appear, you about the fog being lifted that comes off it, people think that you're trying to be some kind of snake oil sales. <laughs> right, I know. And it, it, it's not. Um, there's a, a good friend of mine. Um, uh, he uh, has uh, epilepsy. Uh, he's an adult epilepsy, and he's been suffering from it. He's tried all different uh, types of medication, and they haven't worked. Um, he had a brain implant, and that hasn't worked. And kind of like as a last resort, they said, why do not you try a 3-1 uh, ketogenic diet? I'm saying this is a last resort. So this happened to him five days ago. Five days ago, he's, uh, he's now in doing the induction phase on that one there, He's getting his ketones up really high. Um, and, and, and Jess, you, you, you obviously did 11 years at Cincinnati Children's Hospital on this. It's really hard to get up to a, a five minimal uh, level. Um, but for the first time in over seven months, he was able to go three days without having a seizure. Wow. His delight have come on here. His energy levels have come on up. He's now, I think, you knew this would be day, day six. Uh, I've got to check in with him to see how he's doing. And for him, it's become an absolute game changer. So here we are. Suddenly, he gets the default source back into his body, and he's getting it. And you can, you can even see it in the way that he's posting. He's got his energy levels back up. He's feeling really good. And and when you see that, there's like that's the moment of keto clarity, you know. And I've been in nutritional ketosis since 2015. Would I go back to eating carbs? I would just tell
0: you no. I I would not because nothing (laughs) is as good as healthy feels. Right. I agree. Um, I, I completely agree. Uh, And again, I I just want some people to realize that they don't understand the feelings and and the results we're talking about because you haven't experienced it. Unless you've cut enough carbs out of your diet and added enough fat, you're not going to produce this state. And even in the beginning, you can do all those things. And it takes a little while to kind of get this process jump started. You know, a lot of people used to ask me, well, you know, how do I know? And we're going to talk about testing ketones. So you know you've been talking about numbers. There are a lot of feelings, you know, mm-hmm. that are pretty common when people move into ketosis. She talked about the the brain clarity and the energy levels and the appetite so there there are other clues as well i I love measuring i love being able to correlate the numbers to what's going on we're going to talk about that what is is there like a, a a record what what's the highest number of ketones you've seen somebody produce that isn't in ketoacidosis i mean somebody healthy who's fasting or whatever what's the highest number you've seen Let's be very clear. Don't go chasing ketones. No, I, I'm not. I, I, I want to know for a different reason. You're right. <laughs> I, 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 I am yes, very, I've said many, many times, my sweet spot, honestly, on ketones is somewhere around 0.7 to 1.5. I, I feel excellent mm-hmm. in that yes. range. If I get to two and a half or three, I don't feel much different. So I don't work too hard to get... I, I'm dealing with somebody, though, and I actually had the call this morning on my show... Um, I'm working with somebody who has severe depression, uh, and we're working with them through diet and, and she called today and I I swear I could hear something so different in her voice today in a good way. And she told me she was on a, where she's in her 30th hour of a fast, I think. And she Mm -hmm. didn't know she should quit. She was starting to feel a little bad. She wanted to go to 36, or it might have been 40 and 48, I forget. And I said, well, let's try a little bone broth and, you know, see if we can make it to the end Um, or quit. It's not a big deal either way. But she was at 7.2 on her ketones. That's the highest number I've ever seen.
1: Yeah, well, uh, the meter goes up to 8,
0: and
1: there are quite, you know, we see many documented cases where, especially when people are only start starting fasting first, that they're, they're like, they see these mat, these bigger numbers kind of come on out. You know, I would also ask, what was the person's blood glucose? It was probably in the 60s. It, yeah,
0: it actually, I'm glad, like I'm glad you asked, because I did have to address that. She was down to 55.
1: Which, you That's know, okay. there's no... Yeah, it's fine. I think actually, um, Jess, you only get worried if it goes below 40, 43, something like that, correct?
2: Yep, yep. Yeah, that's right. And addressing your question or your comment, Kevin, about, you know, when do we get nervous about ketoacidosis? I just want everyone to understand that ketoacidosis is very high ketones, but also very high blood sugar. Right. So when you are in a ketotic state due to fasting or being on a ketogenic diet and your ketones get very high, your blood sugar should be coming down. So there really isn't concern there at all in regards to ketoacidosis unless your blood glucose is also very high. That's when we get concerned about that.
1: I always thought that they should remarket it. Re-market. The doctors need to remarket that word and call it gluco
0: keto because it's the two of them. Until that's just a good one. idea. And that's yeah. very <laughs> key. Yeah, that, that would probably yeah. help clarify things. Yeah. So, you know, having high ketones in the sevens, we um, uh,
1: wouldn't worry about that.
0: Got it. Got it. And I, I didn't think so. And I, I, I said the same thing about the blood sugar, you know, no symptoms. So I'm not worried about that number. Um, let me ask you about a pattern though and see if this is just anecdotal or what we've experienced. I certainly did myself and I see it with a lot of the people we work with. I started to monitor my blood sugar before I really adjusted my diet right at the very beginning. Um, when I was just researching mm-hmm. a lot of this. And I would see uh, primarily I, I, my average was probably in the 70s somewhere if I went back and looked. And I would occasionally hit you know, low to mid 60s. Once I started eating keto, that changed dramatically. Like I almost never see 60 or 70 anymore. It's almost unheard of. 80s are very rare for me. I tend to stay between about 90 and 110 consistently all the time. And I I kind of see that as a pattern. The the people who tend to eat very low carb, their baseline blood sugar has kind of come up. They, They don't see some of those lower numbers that they used to, but they've got this really tight range. They don't see any high numbers either.
1: Well, if you're not eating glucose, your body is making use of glucose neogenesis from metabolizing your bodily fat or dietary fat to bring that in. So it's kind of like self-regulating in that way. Whereas if you are having handling glucose, you've got to secrete insulin to manage that glucose um, as you go through the roller coaster ride that is that gets you in a you know, sort of getting hypers and, a hypos and as you try to run that, 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 that link across there. And so you know, getting normalized sugars is the more important thing. And actually I think ketones is the better biomarker than glucose. If you're measuring your glucose in at least two, three hours after a meal, you, what you're doing is measuring is, is your pancreas right now being able to create sufficient insulin to manage the glucose that's in the body. Yeah, but it's not measuring the fact of giving the pancreas a break. Whereas if you're measuring for ketones, all fifteen biomarkers of inflammation in the body come down. Period. So now you're finally giving your pancreas a break. And when you do that, when I go and measure my glucose, it's boring. It it, it <laughs> Right. And so when you when you when you see people the, and and uh, especially sort of like that some of the passionistas in, the, in, in, the, in, the, in the, the health, keto space, and you watch them walking around with their CGMs. I'm like, well, how boring is that? You just want to go and take a look at a flat line, or you want to go and eat a donut and see it spike. Well, that's kind of like saying, hey, we just want to show you the wrong path, so oh, let's show I you the right one. path. Right. And the right path is, is, is ketosis, but remember, I'm the keto guy, and when you only have a hammer, everything is a nail, so I'm always biased on, on this part, but at the end of the day, you know, in nutritional ketosis is where I think the true magic happens for an individual, for, the, for their health, for their well-being, and for, um, and for general op- optimized
0: being. You know, that makes sense. And, and this mini series, we included a company called NutriSense. They helped us a lot with the blood sugar side of the things, and we recommend their CGMs. And I do recommend people go wear one, one time, two weeks, a month, whatever it might be. And, and especially if you're testing ketones, we're going to talk about in my mind, how much more unpredictable ketones can be a little harder to track Watching your blood sugar in correlation with your ketones can help a lot, but I will say exactly what you just said. After using CGMs for over a year on and off now, it is just boring. I mean, unless I have something I want to go test, like how does extreme stress, uh, affect our blood sugar? How does poor sleep affect our blood mm-hmm. sugar? How did alcohol affect our blood sugar? I- I'll go do all kinds of tests like that. And I still use a CGM, but other than that, it's just boring. Like I said, my numbers are 90 to 110 all the time. They just stay there all day long. There there's nothing to look at.
1: And that's a, that,
0: that's a great thing.
1: And, and, you know, and, and I think the CDN, the uses of the tool, like you're, you're recommending on that end, that then is great. You know, some, my, my wife is actually a, a certified civilian. And you know, we know how much residual sugar is in wines. And so uh, for us, our goal is like, how do we continue to have a, a wonderful, <laughs> engaging and vibrant lifestyle? And I'm not going to go and say, I'm not going to drink wine. And so now we know how to, how to drink wines while still remaining in the state of nutritional ketosis. And we could go down a big rabbit hole just on, on that piece. So there is, there is a value to it. It's how, it's, you know, we keep, I think of testing as like a map and compass model. You know, the, the, the map is the food map of the foods that you're choosing. And the compass is there to guide you to let you know if you're going in the right way or the wrong way. But after a while, once you've learned the route, do you need the map and compass? You need the GPS.
0: Very good analogy. And this
1: is the this is the way that I like to think about it. That, like, for me, if we have done all our, our, our jobs correctly, if you have educated your audiences, just provided the information on our on our website that empowers the user, our ultimate goal is for you to not use our product because you've actually got yourself healthy. Whereas the American system is all about sick care. They'll certainly look after your sick and they can keep you good being be sick as, as long as you like. It is not an incentive to do preventative or actually get people healthy because you don't get paid when you get people healthy. But for us, our business model is based purely on that. I want a healthy, vibrant community.
0: You know, I, I'm glad you said that. We say the same thing all the time. I mean, we, we generate a lot of revenue selling things like the Keto Mojo and supplements. And, and we tell people uh, our goal is that you should not have to do this for the rest of your life. We don't want, if I put you on a supplement, my immediate goal is going to be how can I get you back off of that supplement? Why are we using it? And can we get that nutrition through food? And if we can, that's the goal. And at some point, I don't want you buying this supplement anymore. I I agree. I I think, you know, we we have these tools. We need these tools because, one, our food supply is a disaster. Our health, for the most part, is a disaster. And we need some of these things. But our goal, just like yours, at some point, we want to get you to the point where you don't need this anymore. Right.
1: And also, a thing to point out is that when you're first starting, uh, you can have a lot of changes that's going to go on in your body. There's going to be changes on your microbiome. Uh, there's going to be changes on a cellular level because your mitochondria change so they can accept medium training Uh, triglycerides easier, and it was doctor and Spolikin-Finney who wrote in The Arts and Science of Low-Carbohydrate Living. They showed in elite athletes, these cyclists, that it would take almost 12 weeks to get fat adapted. So this is this 12-week process where they actually saw for a while some of the performance of these athletes go down, but then it came back better. The recovery came back better. The inflammation all went down, and their performance and endurance increased. So when you've got to think, is you're going to, the user is going to go through many changes. And, you know, as you get fat adapted and you get metabolically flexible, the amount of carbohydrates you can potentially consume actually does increase. Do I sweat a carrot in a beef bourguignon? No. Do I sweat an onion in it? No. Do I get concerned about having the noodles and the fettuccine? Absolutely. Yeah, have right. a beef bourguignon, but Don't have any of the don't have any of the noodles. Have all the nutrient dense meat and sauce is absolutely fantastic. And and that way you start to learn to, to, to change and, you can, and and it makes you relax a little bit. Are you going through a, a food desert and like you ended up, you know, just caving in one day. And you're like, Well, okay, you had a stressful day, you know, now to test, you like, did it make you out of ketosis? Oh, uh, maybe just a little bit. You just choose to fast a little bit for a few more a few more hours in the morning. And then by about lunchtime, you're back in ketosis, and you're like, I'm back on the wagon. Let's, <laughs> let's, let's
0: try. you know? You know, you, you mentioned, you know, if you happen to end up in a food desert, uh, our tribe spends their entire life in a food <laughs> desert. They're on the road. Mm -hmm. Uh, Being on the interstate highways is a food desert. Uh, You know, we've taught them how to pressure can meat, how to ferment vegetables so they can, you know, take their own food Uh, with them, uh, which is critical. The stuff you find on the road is just awful. Um, So that that was a challenge in the beginning. We've certainly um, helped our tribe a lot with that. You know, you mentioned that when you become fat adapted, you can eat more carbohydrates. I, I absolutely can. I know I can and still produce ketones and feel great. But it, I, I find that the longer I go, the more carnivore I become. I'm, I'm becoming much, much more picky about the plants that I do eat. You know, I, I stay away from yes. the plants we know that have problems, whether it's lectins, phytates, oxalates, there are problems out there in plant foods. So I have found varieties and vegetables that I really like that either minimize those problems and my neighbors think I'm insane because I've got this huge garden that keeps growing every year. I'm adding to the garden again this year right now and my neighbors walk by and they'll be talking about it and then they'll start asking me about food because they know what I do and uh, I'll start telling them about carnivore and keto and they they look at me and you can see the confusion. Here I am out there growing all these plants and telling them I don't eat many of them. Um, I just love my garden for a lot of reasons. And growing the garden helps me be very, very picky about the vegetables I do eat. I get to pick the vegetable. I get to pick the variety. I pick the way it gets grown. I know it's as healthy as it can be. So And then being out there digging in the dirt and the sunshine and all that all summer long. Um, is really good as well, but my neighbors think I'm kind of loony. I tell them I eat mostly meat, and yet I've got a garden they're starting to call a mini farm. Uh Uh-oh, hold on one second. We just lost our audio. Let me see if I can get it back. Uh, Dorian, try that again. Have you um, started to introduce chickens yet? Oh, say that word again. What have, What am I introducing? Have you started to introduce chickens
1: into oh, your garden yet bring on the chicken I, compost tractor?
0: I'd love to accept them in an HOA that doesn't allow it. Um, I do have another property that we may start developing across the river and that may end up with some chickens on it. Uh, so, no, I... I yeah, I can't do the chickens. I am thinking I bring in... Um, I bring in bees every year, but I bring in, I don't bring in honeybees. I bring in what are called leafcutter bees and mason bees. They're solitary bees. Mm -hmm. They don't live in a hive. They don't produce honey, but they are incredible pollinators. Like one leafcutter bee, if I remember right, will pollinate as many as 30 honeybees. So they're wow. really, really good wow. pollinators. So I bring those in every year. Um, but I am thinking about bringing honeybees in. I do want to bring in some honeybees and produce some honey. And so that, that I may work on that this year um, to see how that goes. But so the way I get it, the other thing I'm trying to do with my garden, I'm getting there, I'm getting really close. Um, I want my garden to be regenerative. We talk a lot about regenerative farming now, way beyond organic um, you know, we've worked with Joel Salatin mm-hmm. and uh, Gabe Brown and Forrest Pritchard and, you know, the guys who have been real pioneers in regenerative. Like, you know,
1: yeah, Joel, Joel mm-hmm. Salatin of
0: Polyface of poly yeah. Farm. I, I followed him for uh, uh,
1: for many years. And I, I love one of his phrases. It, it's not the cow, it's the how. <laughs> yeah. the, the biggest piece of proper, propaganda that we have seen is when people are blaming uh, cow burps, yes. um, for global uh, warming and want to uh, ignore the motor car, the truck, the ship, the plane, and all the rest of it, and and, and think that an animal that is just roaming and eating grass is the worst thing on, on, on the planet. Did- um, so...
0: Did we but all I forget think, I think I have a- Did we all forget those pictures that exist of the plains with millions of bison on them? <laughs> yeah. Did we forget that? Yes. We didn't we do did. that. That was we here. Did. That existed. Humans did not do that. That and, and and do we not understand why we now grow so much food in that part of the world?
1: Because they created the deepest soil.
0: Yes, and then we screwed it up.
1: Right. For every one kilogram of protein produced in a vegetative holistic farming method, 3.5 kilograms of carbon can be sequestered, which is absolutely fantastic. So it is definitely not the cow, it is the how.
0: Yes. And Joel has got just such great material about a lot of things, farming, politics, life in general. It's just a a really interesting guy. He's become a pretty regular on the show. Um, Since I don't have animals as part of my garden or farm, what I've done instead is I use something called green manure so i I have Mm -hmm. two different cover crop blends i have one that i can plant in the spring and i have one that i can plant in the fall and there are six or seven different plants that i just mix the seeds and throw them on any bare ground i don't ever let ground sit bare if there if nothing's going to be growing in that spot even if it's only going to be for six weeks i will throw those seeds on there and they'll start to sprout and Each seed is designed to do something for the soil. One breaks it up and keeps it nice and loose. Another one, you know, the legumes put nitrogen back into the soil. So between all those plants, that's how you create really amazing soil. And they actually call it green manure. When you're ready to plant in that area, you just cultivate the plants that are there right back into the ground. And that feeds the soil just like animal manure would. Precisely.
1: Actually, I used to do my garden in um, a bio-intensive method. And not only did, did I do like what you do is green manures, but I also um, did hot compost, cold compost. Same and thing. I yep. used uh, vermi po- with, with worms as well and utilizing compost teas um, to, to bring it okay. together. And, and so if, if it's, uh, you know, as Salatin says, is he's a grass farmer. Exactly. Who happens to produce beef.
0: <laughs> right. Yes. Right. He's a grass. It is the care for the soil. It is the
1: care for the grass is what you want to focus on. And everything else will come out from that. Yep. All those Same things. Thing human
0: yeah. yeah. All those things you talked about. I use compost teas. I have worms in the garden producing compost. I have a hot compost. Uh, all of that. A- and then I recover all the seeds. So my goal is. To be able to run that garden every year without buying anything, precisely, it's economic. Yeah, no, in, no inputs. The it is truly regenerative. Everything the farm needs, the farm produces. Or my garden. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, it, it's pretty incredible. I I really hope that that movement does catch on more because I think we're at some sort of a tipping point in our world today between. You know, the vegans who swear we're killing the planet because we're eating animals and it's cruel and inhuman um, and, and all the fake meat that's coming out. It almost feels like we're at a tipping point somewhere. On the other hand, we have people like you and I and all these other people that are moving back towards that way of raising animals and eating. Um, it's kind of weird. There, there's nobody left in the middle anymore. It seems like we have these two extremes and I'm not sure who's going to win out. I mean, that's an interesting point because you you know th- there's a lot of food politic that is
1: um, uh, that is out there. Um, if we look at the wor- look at the words of what Nina Tyschofsz has done with the Nutrition Coalition and seeing the conflicts of interests just within the board of, of the USDA that is looking at the government plate so to speak or are making the recommendations. So you see that, but at the end of the day, what they're looking for is evidence-based guidelines, and last year, over 600 publications came out on the ketogenic diet. That's more in one year than I think has almost been done for anything uh, for a vegetarian diet, and it was 600 plus the year before. So when you look at the the body of evidence, if we look at the fact of how many people are reversing their type 2 diabetes every year now in America following a well-regulated ketogenic diet, the science has expanded to such a point that there will come for a moment where people will go, hold on, what's going on here? Because we've seen that happen with just one disease state. And then we'll look at the other disease states. Now, I, you know, I'm vegetarians, you know, I love vegetarians, but I can't eat a whole one. Um, and to my mind, you know, it's sort of, that's a choice that they make. Is it that you don't want, don't like the flavor of meat? Well, okay. What if you're doing it for religious reasons? Well, okay. What if you're doing it because you don't want for that animal to die for you? Well, actually not Okay. Because if you go to an avocado orchard, if you see how bare a monoculture that it is, and you wonder to yourself how many animals have actually died for that avocado, hundreds of thousands of rodents trapped and killed every year for your avocado. But does the beef the rodent into
0: what terms of a sentient being <laughs> right yeah it, it, the thing we just have to understand i'm not sure why we it, sometimes i think we're just so arrogant as human beings we we think we've somehow become smarter than nature every living thing on the planet eats something else and, and those things are living yeah. things as well it, it, that's just how the world has yeah. always worked since the beginning
1: Right, but when we go into a, to a Colorado ranch, pasture-raised, and we see the different trees that is there, we see the polyculture of flowers that are growing in that meadow where we haven't had to till that soil. So there's a nice, nice skin that is running through it that is filtering our water. And that cow is sequestering carbon as it goes along. And there's a huge number of, like, you can have raccoons, you can have possums, you can have other animals, raptors that are, growing, that are flying around. There is a massive amount of diversity. And only one animal can have one bad day. That's Not right. hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of animals. That's right. So, you know, when I, when I look at that way, you know, if, if, if I wanted to make sure that I uh, had a minimal impact of having animals die for me, it's better to actually be a carnivore than it is to be a vegetarian.
0: I agree. You know, and and uh, you know, you talked about you know the diversity and all the other things that happen when we when we do this farming thing right, like polyface farms. But I can see it right here in my little garden. So I, I live in an area where the soil is horrible. Not a lot grows here. Pine trees. Mm-hmm. Um, it's really rocky arid, you know, soil that doesn't hold water well. Um, We don't get hardly any rain all summer long, 90 or 100 days with no rain. So we have a good growing climate, but we don't have good soil. So a lot of things don't really grow here. Um, Wild berries seem to do okay. So now that I've created this incredible soil over the last several years, it just keeps getting better and better. You can see the difference right here in a little neighborhood. If you come into my yard, there are bees, there are butterflies, there are hummingbirds, there are birds, they're everywhere. I have worms everywhere now. I have mushrooms popping up all over the place. Um, Plants that just show up that I didn't even plant, you know, and good plants. Sometimes they're medicinal plants. It's just, it's incredible how much I've changed this little area. Walk a house or two down. You don't see any of this stuff. So here's the point. Oh, and there's what a downside. Let me created, I mean, let me talk about the downside that we've run into. I have uh, my landscape guy now on, I have somebody that takes care of the little bit of grass and lawn I have because I hate working on that. Um, I'm always in the garden, hmm. but now I've had, I've got him on a retainer full time to get rid of the moles. Because I didn't realize this, moles eat worms. That's their primary diet. We have now created a giant worm farm and we have attracted all the moles. (laughs) Yeah,
1: so the the thing that you did is you created a market-forcing function. How you changed your diet, how you changed the way that you shop Change the environment that is around you. And this is, to to me, where ketones can be quite powerful. When you follow a ketogenic diet lifestyle, you start shopping the outer aisle. You don't shop the garbage that is in the center of that supermarket. Once you do that, your pocketbook is the biggest voting uh, uh, capability that anyone has because every time you shop you are voting and making a decision which changes industries, which changes the way that we want to, we, we want to live and work to, together. And that's why for me, you know, part of my goal of Keto Mojo was to have this market forcing function because every person we change that one time will then go on to change others. And this is how I believe the next agricultural revolution will come on in and ketones are at the key of that and the different types of ketone foods.
0: Excellent. You know, I I could love, you know, Jessica and I did this on the last one. We talked big picture. I love this kind of theory stuff and politics and everything going on in the world of food. But uh, I do think it is time to get down to the science of ketones. Um, Mm
1: -hmm.
0: So let's start there. Um, What? It kind of give us the, the back to the basics on ketones. Right? There are three forms of ketones, is that right? That is correct, yeah. D- does that so matter you much?
1: have uh, three types. It, it does, actually. Okay. So going in, you've got three types. You've got um, uh, acetoacetate uh, that can sometimes be measured in, in your urine. Uh, Acetoacetate is actually quite a a volatile compound that can be shunted into beta-hydroxybutyrate, which is really stable. So acetoacetate represents about 28% of the energy that is within the body. Beta-hydroxybutyrate, very stable compound, moving around through through your bloodstream, um, uh, delivering and dropping off energy where it's needed. That represents about 70% of the energy in the body, and that's measured within the blood. And then you have acetone. Some people think it's a a utilization molecule. Some people um, uh, kind of like uh, think that it's sort of like a byproduct, like the exhaust, if you will. And that comes off in the breath and represents about 2% of the potential energy that is within the body. Now, of of measuring these, um, the urine ketones, acetoacetate, you know, you might spill that when you're first starting, and you know, quite often people go and choose to use a urinalysis strip. But then they go a bit despondent when they don't see it changing. And they go like, oh, that strip must, that strip must be awful. You, you sold me a done. Well, you've actually stopped spilling in your urine because your body doesn't like to waste energy. It conserves it. So it will no longer spill into the urine. Just like you know how that person was fasting and had these really high ketones. If that person continues on a fasting cycle at a regular basis, you'll find that those ketones will come down as the body finds equality equilibrium. So beta-hydroxybutyrate, it's the gold standard of testing. It's been used in a, a, from a, a glucometer, especially if it's got glucose and ketones on it, you know it's going to conform to an FDA standard um, and an ISO standard as well. So you know that the quality of the measurement you're going to get there is, is the top of the line. And That's why measuring blood ketones is the gold standard. Now, acetone, you know, you think, okay, we can measure that in the, in, in the breath. Wouldn't that be fantastic, a fully non-invasive method of testing? Well, the challenge with the breath analyzers is they use what's known as a MOX sensor, a metal oxide sensor suite, and they can get active and passive degradation through different types of contaminants. So say you cleaned your teeth and got a sugar alcohol in there, like sorbitol, and xylitol, erythritol, and well, that, it can't differentiate between uh, a sugar alcohol or actually acetone or methane, for that matter. And so you end up getting this false positive on it and you don't get the repeatability and the reliability. And plus, so, breast is dirty. Oh my God, there are so many contaminants and volatile compounds in breath. It's unbelievable between ammonia and hydrogen and other things like that. And so yet, we do not have good quality testing on, on breath, but maybe one day.
0: Well, that's a, that's a really good point, and I've tested all of the breath meters on the market, every one I can find, and I've used Keto Mojo as kind of the gold standard to measure them against, and they all fail miserably. I, I've given up on the breath meters completely yeah. um, because they are just, they don't correlate well with anything. I, I can't learn anything when I try to use them, um, I, so I, I've just basically given up on those completely.
1: Yeah, they, they, they do good marketing uh, and they sell a lot of promise. But when you actually go the rubber meat to the road on this, it then becomes a lot. Of, it doesn't, doesn't do what it says it does on a packet. So, uh, so now that, this is why all the clinical trials that we work in, uh, we're in about 30 right now, all test with blood because of the consistency, reliability, accuracy.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, like I said, I've tried the breath meters. It, it was it was nice. It was promising not to have to poke your finger all the time to do this, but it doesn't work. It, there's no point in doing it. I can just tell people you are going to learn nothing if you're only using a breath meter. Um, I still have several of them I still try them every once in a while. I don't know why I bother because I, I really get <laughs> no good information out of them. At all. And if another one comes out on the market, I'll probably buy it and try it. That's what I do. But um, I, I really, blood testing is the only way to do this. Um, you kind of brought back a lot of memories yeah. with the urine strips. I haven't talked about that in years. But in the beginning oh, my God, I just wanted to record that piece so I didn't have to keep saying it over and over and over. People would call me, oh, my God, I was in ketosis last week, and now I can't get into ketosis no matter what I do. And I it, immediately I would just say, you're using urine strips, aren't you? Because that pattern was so clear. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs>
1: And and also, you know, it, hydration has a yeah. problem with your analysis trips and, and, and just like like that. And, and so I think it, it, I'm glad that so many people uh-huh. now are more educated from the work that you're doing. So you kind of like can steer them in, in the right direction uh, in, in which to go. But remember, testing just keep like you said, glucose is, has, has a factor as well as ketones. You know, if you're only testing one of those, you're only seeing half the picture.
0: Yeah, absolutely, and you know we can we can make some assumptions that as blood glucose goes up, we're going to have a harder time making ketones. Um, so so that and that's why we did want to include blood testing as part of this because it does help us see patterns that are coming. If you've been stressed lately and wondering why it's affecting you so much, and your energy levels are down, and your brain fog is back. Um, when your body is stressed, it will start producing glucose on its own. You mentioned gluconeogenesis. The fight stress. Yeah, a cortisol, a cortisol, cortisol. cortisol spike is right. what is, what is right. it, it, boy, does that pop that up. I can recall
1: uh, when I first went on stage uh, at, at a local USA conference, and I did a baseline before it got off stage and came back down. And just that stress level itself pushed me out by 30 points yes. on my baseline. <laughs>
0: in, in the it, so. it, it's interesting the number you just came up with, but that's the number I published. I said stress alone can raise your blood sugar up to 30 points. No food involved whatsoever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's pretty incredible. Right. And then the, the correlating factor is there, you're going to produce less ketones in that state.
1: And uh, ketones means you've got more inflammation. You've got more inflammation, which is within your body. Your body then um, has more difficulty in trying to, to heal itself and to maintain what it needs to do. Uh, and this, uh, this is the game changer for, for many people. Uh, this, is, this is why I'm firmly of the opinion that ketones is the default um, uh, status. And the beauty is, is your blood doesn't lie. It doesn't lie at all. It it, it always will tell you the truth right there. And it will always guide you in in the right way or say, hey, I've got to, i got to change something or I'm doing really well here and you get that you get that daily motivation. You know, when you, I remember when certain people, when they're first trying to get into nutritional ketosis, and they're using the blood meter, and they see 0.2, 0.3, 0.5, and then they get to that, that moment like, hey, I'm in ketosis. <laughs> I'm in ketosis. And you see it on Instagram and other bits where you know, they, they show the picture because you know, they get that daily motivation that they've got control of this. And this is an important piece, you know, when you're looking at behavior change, or if you're looking um, uh, on somebody, it's giving the power back to the individual. You know, I remember my, my wife got her cancer diagnosis, and suddenly you felt that all the power come out of you because it ended up in your oncologist or your radiologist or your primary care physician. And yeah. so you didn't realize that hey, you have the power. You have the power in your knife and fork every single time to make a change. And you can do it at any time. When you see those numbers, it's empowering. It, it's a difference. you You've got this.
0: You know, that's a good point. That's a good point. You're, you're taking back some control. And when you start measuring ketones, you can see the results of that control. You, you see that you now can dictate how your body feels.
1: Precisely, and
0: right. that is powerful. It is, yeah. I mean, Jeff,
1: Jeff, you, you use it in, in you use it in, in in your practice when you were at Cincinnati Children's Hospital. Um, we're using it with pediatric patients, and I bet for when uh, I bet for when the mother could say, "Hey, the child was in ketosis," and then suddenly see the seizures diminish. It was must have been massive for them.
2: Absolutely, yeah. and it's a measure of you know, of dietary adherence too. Like, you know, that if you are in a ketotic state that you're following the dietary guidelines that were, that you are trying to hit or your macros that you're trying to hit or what is prescribed to you as well.
0: Absolutely. You know, Jessica, I think you'll, um, appreciate this with the work you've done in the past. I had a, um, a husband who was the truck driver. It's a pretty common scenario, but this one was just such an amazing story. So the husband listens to me because he's out there driving a truck and he listens to my show. And some of these guys are gone for, you know, six weeks, three months sometimes. So in the beginning, this was such a common thing. One of the drivers would start listening to me. He'd eat keto while he was on the road, not even say anything to his wife. Because he he didn't want to, you know, whatever. He didn't want to let everybody know he's trying something in case he failed or whatever. Three months later, the guy walks through the door 60 pounds lighter than when he left. Uh, This is crazy. And these are are guys that are 40, 50, 60 years old. And they've been overweight for, you know, two and three decades sometimes. And of course, the wife immediately says, where's my husband? Um, and, and what have you done with him? And then starts asking questions. How did you lose this much weight? And of course they say, well, I'm eating all this fat and, you know, it, which sounds crazy, but the results are right there in front of you. How do you argue against these kind of results? So then the wife tries it and she has incredible results. She reverses autoimmune conditions she's had for two decades. She loses weight Her stress goes away. They, I get the call that And they explain all these results to me, and they're so happy. And then the wife starts crying because they have an eight-year-old daughter who is a medical train wreck. Every problem you can imagine, and nobody can help this child. Almost ready to take her out of school. It's so bad, they're going to need special counseling. I can't even begin to describe the number of problems. And their question to me was, is it safe to let our child eat this way? And honestly, this was early oh. enough into this. I wasn't totally confident. I, I did, I hadn't worked with a lot of kids. I hadn't done a lot of research on it. And I took a chance. I said, you know what? I, I truly believe this is the way human beings are supposed to eat. So I'm going to say, yes, let's do it. Let's just start working this child as close to keto as we can get him. Take our time. There's no rush. We don't have to make a big deal out of it. I got a call a couple months later, and they were crying again, but it was happy tears. You would not believe the yeah. the turnaround in this child. And and today we're a couple years into this now. Child is totally happy, healthy, not a single health problem anymore. Mm-hmm. What an incredible it's, story. It is. It, it you know in the beginning, I used to Dorian. You touched on this a little earlier, like. At some point, you start thinking, I'm going to sound like some snake oil salesman because I'm telling people, not really intentionally trying, but I'm telling people, look, keto Fix is just about everything. And then you start thinking, well, wait a minute, that sounds a little crazy, but it does. And then I got thinking, mm-hmm. well, it, we only think this is incredible because our mindset is so screwed up. We've all lived in a time where we think it's normal for human beings to be sick. We think that's normal. Mm-hmm. It's not normal, it's common. There are that two big differences there. It's not normal at all, but it is common. Most human beings on the planet today are sick. People in first world countries are absolutely sick and we're sick because of our diet. And if, if human beings are not meant to be sick, We're not meant to have tooth decay. We're not meant to have headaches. We're not meant to be obese. None of those things are normal or natural. So it does make sense that if we eat the proper human diet, all of those things go away. It's not snake oil. It's just nature. That's how it's supposed to be. Precisely. You couldn't couldn't say (laughs) that. Seriously, that's exactly right. And we forget that. Because we just believe and and how many times have we been told, oh, no, as you get older, you'll lose testosterone, you'll get weaker, this will happen, that will happen. And you look around and you believe them because there's evidence in front of you. Everybody, you know, is starting to have all of those things happen. Until you show up somewhere Except for the keto. Exactly.
1: We're looking at this guy like,
0: nah. Yeah, I was just about to say, you think it's normal until you show up at some place like KetoCon or Low Carb Denver or Paleo FX and you look around and you go, there's an awful lot of healthy-looking human beings here. It's <laughs> noticeable. right? But was also, also interesting... Is you know what we are now finding, and
1: Jessica, you know she does a lot of education. with, um, We recently finished uh, doing a ketogenic cancer course with the Metabolic Training Institute of Health. We Jessica takes a lot of the different courses to try and learn from one uh, discipline to another, and especially on these different disease states. But when we're looking at the disease states that can have profound effects. Obviously, type two diabetes reversal, that's key. Pre-diabetes, great, hypertension, because they're all the metabolic syndromes. But helping women to conceive who've got polycystic ovarian syndrome. Uh, helping uh, as an adjunct in cancer treatment from the work of Professor Seafeed and Dominic Diagostina and Miriam Calamian have done. So it's utilizing that because cancer, some cancers can feed on glucose through the Warburg effect. We start looking at all these NCDs, these non-communicable diseases. These are modern diseases. These are Western diseases. These are diseases by the standard American diet, which is obviously very sad. And it can be an absolute profound game changer. Consider this. Every four minutes in America, there is an amputation from type 2 diabetes.
0: Every four minutes. Oh, that is awful.
1: And... And it might, that person might have not just one amputation, but several over the course of what was considered by the American Diabetic Association, a chronic disease that you're like, once you've got it, you couldn't do anything about it. And it's, the cost of type 2 diabetes in America is $380 billion of an industry. And yet just changing the way that we eat And this is where people go like, oh, you don't eat carbs, and you're weird, and you're you're strange (laughs) because you're not going to eat carbs. Well, you know what's weird and strange? Getting your leg amputated and being in a wheelchair, having poor quality of life, having end-stage renal failure and dialysis. That's strange. Good point. But yet we want to continue to go down that road because what's happened is they don't tell you what the road is really going to be like. If you were suddenly faced, you've got a red pill and a blue pill. And one of those pills is, okay, you're going to be on medications for the rest of your life. You're going to be bolusing your, your insulin on, on that, that. You're going to have 15 years less of life. There's a high degree of amputation, dialysis at the end, and you're, and you're probably going to be in a wheelchair for part of your life. And blind. Or,
0: <laughs> yes,
1: uh, Or you can take this other route, which means you can have a delicious steak with a Bernays sauce with maybe some asparagus and hollandaise on on that (laughs) and have that with a really nice glass of wine, and you think, that's
0: weird. (laughs) Uh, You are so correct. I, I can't believe how screwed up we have become. Um, around that issue. And and we're the weirdos. And here's the other thing. Some of the things we call food these days, the the packaged garbage in the grocery store, cereals and bars and snacks and all that, it, it doesn't even resemble food. It's not even close to food. People can walk through a room eating a bunch of Cheetos, which has fluorescent powder (laughs) that is supposed to be cheese somehow (laughs) and nobody blinks an eye walk in and have a steak for breakfast and they will think you're going to die of a heart attack we are so screwed up about this i keep threatening i'm going to do it i'm not going to threaten it anymore i am going to show up at a meeting somewhere I promise I'm going to do this. I I want it to be an early morning meeting, and I'm going to show up with a box. I'm going to walk in with a plain white box, but when I open it up, it's going to be filled of cowboy ribeyes. I'm so sick of why does everybody bring donuts to a meeting? If we think about this, think about something for a second. We know that as human beings, we should not be eating grains, right? I think grains are one of the worst offenders in our diet. Um, Dr. Mercola oh. seems to believe that seed oils are the worst offenders in our diet Then there are some people who believe just plain sugar is the worst offender in our diet Those might be the top three We might argue about which one's worse Let's think about it So wheat's bad, sugar's Rain. bad, and seed Rain. oils are bad What What is a donut? It's wheat and oh, sugar fly, fried fried in <laughs> seed oils It might be the worst food on the planet
1: so okay. uh, it, yeah. it, it is without it is without doubt. Uh, the mindset will change, uh, and I think, but it's going to take a long time. Uh, I was recently just in Europe, and I was still surprised at how many people still smoke after we've known that smoking kills. For any evidence is way settled that is on that. But imagine you're an addict. Imagine you uh, are a carbohydrate addict and every time you go to the gas station, there are carbohydrates. Every time you go to the movie theater, there are the carbohydrates. Every time you you, you go anywhere, there's somebody trying to push that on you. You just change carbs to alcohol or cocaine and think about it in that respect. How does somebody change and get that power to change their lives? Because it's them taking control of themselves. You know, and that's the hardest challenge to do It's I need to realize, you know, I am the captain of my ship. I can change this and I can do it any time of the day. It's not that I have to get into a a special um, place and do it or prepare. You can just say, right, now is the moment. Now is the moment of change.
0: You know, you just said something that made the light bulb go off, though. I, I also happen to be fascinated by addiction. I study addiction. I've been studying it for years movies, books. I read about it all the time I'm just fascinated by it. One of the things that is just an absolute standard in any kind of addiction treatment is the fact that you have to get away from the other addicts. You have to move. I mean, Mm -hmm. they, they will tell you, leave home, move to another state. You have to get away from the other addicts if you're going to break this habit. Well, 99% 99% of the human population, or the American population, are they're addicted to carbohydrates. How do I get away from the addicts? They're everywhere.
1: Well, well the beauty is we now have our tribe. We know where you to go. find them. We know, <laughs> where the social media, we know where the social media places are to go. We know where it becomes like-minded. And it was great. I went out to, to dinner last night uh, on uh, Easter, Easter Sunday, had a nice um, spring lamb with that, and we were just starting off um, uh, for, for, for a, uh, a course where we wanted to have some pate with that, and I said to the server, "Oh, do you mind if I have no bread?" Uh, and he goes, "Oh, no, no, would you like cucumber slices with that instead?"
0: Yeah, absolutely. That
1: person had already been trained; they already knew it. It's getting easier it is. and easier. Good point. As, yep. as more of us are out there, and I think that I think the mark of success would be when. I get on a plane, I can order a diabetic meal and it'd be a ketogenic and not full of carbs. Now, the American Diabetic Association have already released a paper. I think, Jess, when did this happen? Was it October that the paper came out? Last year?
2: Yeah, actually, I think it was more in the spring of last year. But yeah, it was definitely in 2022.
1: 2022. They released a paper where for the first time they acknowledged that a well-regulated or very low-carbohydrate diet is a course of action that can be utilized for type 2 diabetes. That's profound. It is. Given where many of their their donors are makers of insulin and seed oil companies and uh, suppliers of grains. Yeah. This is a pretty big... And that's the challenge when you've got these vested interests in on, on giving recommendations to society. This is the conflict of interest that we see in the Nutrition Coalition and others. Getting that change to happen, getting that education. But in our modern society, the beauty is people like you who are changing it on a grassroots level. And that then goes to say, hey, when the, when the husband walked back on in losing that 60 pounds, changing the mum, changing the daughter, and then suddenly, that's how a revolution ultimately has to happens, And I'm so glad that we're going to find ourselves on the right side of this revolution.
0: I agree. You know, one of the things, and I, I want to make this point, and then I want to come back and talk about some, you know, getting somebody started on a testing program. Um, but I, I do agree. I, I think if we keep this up and we keep pushing and um, I, but it, there's you know, there there's this phrase we've always heard the rich keep getting richer and the poor keep getting poorer. I used to really fight back against that phrase because they always make it sound like it's the system. It's some sort of a conspiracy theory. And it, it finally dawned on me. I think I actually probably learned this from Dave Ramsey at some point, but he said, look, that is a true statement. You can look at the statistics. It does happen. It's happening in our country and it's accelerating now, but, but it's not a conspiracy theory. It's, it's very simple to explain. If somebody figures out the actions to take, to gain money, to become wealthier, they figure it out and they start to become wealthier. Why would they stop? What what would cause them to stop doing the thing that makes them wealthy or financially independent? Nothing would stop them. They would keep doing that. Once you know how, why would you stop? And on the other hand, if all of your financial decisions keep making you more poor, unless you figure out how to change that, and a lot of people don't, you're going to continue to get poor. I mean, there is a simple explanation for why it happens. So what we need... Is not some new government rule. We need to educate people on how to manage money. It's pretty simple. If one person can do it, then anybody else can too. They just need to be taught how. Now I see, but I think I, I see an even yeah. bigger split. We can come back to that in a second. Um, I see an even bigger split now. I see the people who are figuring out that our medical and food system are horribly broken and corrupt. And if you stick with our food system, then you need our medical system. And it's a mess. You will be in their control the rest of your life. Or you can take control and start eating this way and think about everything that improves. Everything in your life improves when you start improving your health. If you have more energy levels, you're going to be more successful. If you are thinking clearer, you're going to be more successful. If you are not tired and your willpower is shot, you're going to make better decisions every day. I think that the split we're about to see happen around health is going to be even bigger. I agree. But I also think, what is when you think about rich, I think rich
1: in life first. Good point. Then right. you can be right. rich in, right. in, in money, like you said, when you've got that that clarity. I would much prefer to have the health span than lifespan, Exactly. I don't want to see the long goodbye, the long goodbye that is a chronic disease like type two. And that's just one of those diseases. And so this is the important. It's like if you think about what is richness, do you want to be that rich person who's got lots of money but has poor health and no. is dealing with it and has huge costs? Or do you want to be rich in the fact of the foods and the people that you're associating with and having a vibrant, healthy lifestyle? And that comes at the root of what you can consume. Uh, to be honest with you, you know, I'm now the founder of Keto Mojo. we're in 36 countries, wow. but it started by me. When it started by us in 2015 when I was uh, 47 pounds heavier than I am right now going on a well-regulated ketogenic diet. And it was only after I got that clarity and I'm looking at the strip and I'm asking myself, why in 2015 were these strips 4 or $5?
0: Yeah, and so hard to,
1: find. to market. Yeah, yeah, you're buying them on the back streets of eBay uh, and Amazon because they were being bootlegged from I, Australia to I come was, on over.
0: I was just going to say, I was getting all my strips from Australia because it was the only place I could get them.
1: Right, because the Australian government subsidized them cheaper so then you could get there and people are using arbitrage to get it. So when we launched at a buck a strip, which we guaranteed that we would ne- it would never go up in price, so that's for a lifetime, and we've actually come down from that. We're normally at 80 cents a strip right now. Uh, it's a game changer.
0: It is. Yep.
1: And, and when you talk about richness, you know, as a business owner, I look at my balance sheet, I look at my P&L. When do we do that? for our own bodies the most precious thing that we have in our lives that is absolutely priceless when do we look at our own balance sheet when do we look at our own p&l and you're going to think that on that that yearly checkup that you're going to make that difference no you're going to look at it all the time you're going to make sure you're steering your ship in the right direction
0: you know i i have to say that like you, you know, you found this, and this is such a common story in the natural health world. People went looking for solutions for their own problems, whether it was some autoimmune condition they had or they're overweight and they have brain fog and no energy. And they've tried everything the doctors have told us. They've tried all the conventional advice, nothing works. They go out looking for something better and and they end up here where we are such a common story. I can't even begin to tell you how many people I've interviewed that have that exact same story. Now, here's how important just one person can be in an organization. We started getting questions from our tribe. If I go back to 2014, before we started down this road, 2013, um, our show was about business. It was about business and money, profit and loss. Talk about the bottom line. That's all I ever talked about. I was trying to pound it into people's head. You're a business owner. you have to run it like a business. You have to know the numbers. And drivers started saying, look, you've helped us with taxes. you've helped us with our money. We really appreciate this. We help us with our trucks and our fuel mileage. We're sick. Truck drivers are sick. Look around. We, we need you to help us. And I said, no, that's not what I do. Somebody else needs to do that. I do business. I, I don't want to dilute what I do. We, we have a company here. I've spent years building it. I, I can't change my focus like that. It doesn't make sense. Somebody else should do this. And I kept getting the calls. Nobody else is doing it. Or the people who are trying to do it in trucking are doing it all wrong. They're back to the old calories in, calories out. You gotta be on a treadmill 20 minutes a day. You need to eat more healthy whole grains, all that crap that got us here. And they said, you gotta do something. And I said, no, it's not my job. I do business. Somebody else gotta do it. One of my employees got on board and said, no, you need to do this. They trust you. And I said, but I don't know how to do this. It, and everybody said, but you know how to learn. You are not a research. That's your strength. Go do it. And I, I fought it. I fought it for over a year. And then finally, I gave in and said, okay, to to the employee, Kim, I said, you start the podcast then. We'll support you. But I'm sticking to business. And so Kim did it. Um, it and when I saw the response, I had to get on board. Um, so, it, you know, I, I still tell the story all the time. One employee who made this happen and now health is 80% of our business. And I just look at all the people we've been able to help. And I'm so glad I finally gave in on that one. I I, I now make the statement, all those other things are important. Business, money, relationships, your spirituality, all of it is. But if you're not healthy, none of that's going to matter.
1: Agreed. Agreed. It, It is the prime the prime mover, it is what it what guides you. And, you know, the hard part is, and this is what I find, and it's one of the challenges, you know, the best thing is, is to show somebody. You can say you're keto, but when they see the weight come up and they're like, what did you do? That makes a difference. Then, apparently, they get curious. And the beauty now from when we first started is the amount of information that is out there and resources for free that you can do the learning yourself just like you did and anybody that is out there that's listening to so like look you can go out and learn you can go to our website we have hundreds of how-to articles and 220 different recipes and you give them the coping strategy of what to do on the road i have am fascinating on how you you would can meat and things like that 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 sounds be very um exciting which to do but that's the difference there is now more research, and you can learn, and it's really not that hard. Just stop eating carbs. <laughs> yeah. you know, when, when people ask me, they feel like, What is, what is a good ketogenic diet? And I try to put it into a simple phrase it is adequate fat, moderate protein, above ground vegetables. Pretty simple when you put it at like that. It really and, is. And it can be a very game changer. Yeah. yeah. And, and you know, when, you're te- when you are testing, you're gonna be wanting to look to say, hey, I wanna get over 0.5. Okay, that's fantastic. Um, so I to bring it back a little bit to testing. It's like, what should somebody's baseline be? You know, depending on how much metabolic damage you've got, I, you know, we, we recommend that, first of all, test it before you start your program if you want, if you're saying, I wanna make that change. And then once you've got all of the, I think Jess, you did like a a little learning session on this. Can you give me your, your top five things of when somebody is first starting or what you, um, what you like to see them do?
2: Yeah. So in terms of ketone testing, so it kind of, I always, I like to personalize it because I want to always know what their why is for why you're starting the ketogenic diet or this ketogenic lifestyle. So, For most, we recommend that they get into a state of what we call nutritional ketosis, which is their blood ketone levels being at a 0.5 to 3 millimoles per liter. Now, there are some medical conditions that may require you to be in a state of what we call therapeutic ketosis, which would be a higher level of ketosis closer to that 3 to 7 range. However, some people who are starting the ketogenic diet may get up into therapeutic ketosis and may feel absolutely great. It just kind of depends on how your body reacts. And Kevin, you and I had this conversation about how you were saying that you are at, you know, in the 0.7 to 1.5, you feel good. You don't feel any difference when you're in the 2 to 3. So it doesn't always matter how high you get in your ketones just as long as you actually are getting into that nutritional ketotic state because what that means is that your body is burning those ketones as fuel instead of burning glucose as its primary fuel. So I was actually just talking with somebody this morning and the practitioner was asking, you know, why Why is my my patient said that he's, you know, eating low carb and his, but his ketones are only 0.3 but his blood glucose is about 100 and I said he's so insulin resistant it sounds like that he yes. really needs to be able to drop those carbs even lower to get those ketones higher because his body is still running on glucose as fuel. So, those are the kind of difference between the different stages of what we call nutritional versus therapeutic ketosis.
1: And when's your favorite time to test, Jeff?
2: So, my favorite time, so there's two different Times that I think is most beneficial to test. Number one is to test a couple of hours after waking, but prior to eating or drinking anything so that we avoid what we call the dawn effect. We were talking about cortisol earlier. And when you're sleeping, when you wake up, your body can... Um, create cortisol, which can spike your blood sugar. So to get actually a really good fasting value about an hour after waking is a really good time to test. The other really good time to test is in the later afternoon, a couple of hours before your last meal of the day. So if you usually eat around 7 p.m., checking in that 3 to 4 p.m. range is really helpful too, because that will tell you how ketotic that you actually are throughout the day. Um, uh, on, so on, that one,
1: on, on that one, Jessica, do you want to make sure you're at least three hours after like your lunch meal? You want to have at least broken three hours from there, correct?
2: That's right. Yeah. So usually people eat lunch if they are not fasting, usually around noon. And then if they eat again, you know, around 6 or 7 p.m. So around in between those two meals is usually yep. the best. Mm. And then I the a, I'm a fan, I'm a fan
1: of, the, of, of, the, of the evening one because I know my key are going to be higher so I get a bit more of a personal rah-rah on that <laughs> and then I also get a better idea as to how clean my day has been because in the morning obviously you're fasted from the night before so you know there, there is that baseline fasting but I, I kind of like I like the, uh, the, the the just before the evening meal one but that, that's my, my, my bag on that one but as long as you're consistent I think it becomes more important
2: that's right. Yeah. Finding the best time to test that works for you, that you will remember to test at the same time every day will give you a really great trend on how you're doing. Yeah.
1: yeah. And we can help with that because with our app, you can set up a notification just to remind you every time on your phone. So uh, that works mm-hmm. out quite well.
0: Excellent. You yeah. know, I, I think that little piece right there helped a lot. I, I've struggled with that. It, Like I've said, you know, it, took me a while. I figured out blood sugar, when to test and all that. I had a harder time with ketones. So I, I, I think that little tutorial there will help people quite a bit.
2: Good, good. Yeah. And then, the you know, the third time to test after you've been doing keto for a little bit is to determine your bio-individuality to test, you know, doing a three-time test before you eat a specific food that you think may be a trigger for you that may be either dropping you out of ketosis or you have a certain reaction to testing before that meal and then 30 minutes after and then three hours after again. So Excellent. it's really, and we have a lot of information on our website about testing for individuality as well.
0: Uh, speaking of which, now that you pointed that out, I want to Tell people you have tons of resources on your website. You, you're adding constantly. I was shocked when I went back there this morning. Um, you've got a, a mm-hmm. great recommendations on books. You've got good recommendations on movies, uh, some really good documentaries, um, lots of articles on learning. So um, it's keto mojo.com. Is that right? I have it bookmarked. You got That's it. That's right. Yeah. Um, check it out. Lots and lots of great resources there.
2: Absolutely. It's a wealth of information. That's for sure.
0: Yeah, really is. Um, Are we, anything else we want to talk about with, with testing right now? I do have another topic. I kind of want to get your opinion on Dorian. Both of you, actually. I
1: I think Jessica has given a fantastic overview on on the testing. Thank 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 you for that, Jess.
0: Yeah, Mm -hmm. I think so. Hey, before I jump into my other topic, since we're talking about diet and food and all that, which is what we talk about all the time, um, I just saw this article, and this is how screwed up we are. Um, Girl Scout cookies. I I know it's a tradition. I know people want to say things like, oh, my God, don't be such a fanatic. They're Girl Scouts. It's a cookie. I'm sorry, but we have got to start changing the way we look at food. We we just do. And if you want to call me a Grinch or whatever, do it. But everything about our food now is wrong. Every food they want to bring to a party or celebration, and it's nonstop. It's not once in a while. It's somebody bringing donuts and bagels in in the morning. It's going out to fast food for lunch. It's having food brought in for dinner because you're still working. And it's all garbage. And then, oh, we should have a cake. It's their birthday. Well, let's figure out some other way to celebrate instead of poisoning our children. So I, I, I as Agreed. much as I don't want to be a fan of Girl Scout cookies. I don't care what they do. But here's the thing that listen to this headline: Girl Scout Troop steps away from annual cookie sales after controversial ingredient is used. First off, I could look at any Girl Scout cookie on the market and the ingredients have always been awful. It's it's wheat, sugar, and seed oils, just like donuts, just like we talked about. It's got the three worst offenders in the diet, all in one cookie. But do you want to know what what ingredient they're worried about and why they're stepping away from this? This is makes me insane. There's nothing wrong with oh, the gosh, ingredient they-, they think is a problem. They somebody I guess they used palm oil in the cookies. There's nothing wrong Mm -hmm. with palm oil other than the environmental impact. (laughs) I get that. So if that's their issue, and it probably is, but the one real food ingredient that's actually good for us, and that's the one they have a problem with.
1: Yeah, but, you know, I think back to my day when I was a a, a scout and, you know, why, why, why are we having these children just buying a packaged item and reselling it like some kind of middleman what if they actually had their own like uh dehydrators and they could produce jerky um what if they learned how to use the basics of, of making a pork roulette um there are so many other things what about the beauty of cheese making or any of these other pieces of anna huckabee i mean I actually kind of like really like the you know, like the talk age. Uh, I think it's called in England. What is it called here? Where they where they grow the animal and then sell it on um, the family the, the, the young farmers of America. You know, when you look at those, this is what we should be encouraging. We should be encouraging that kind of of but a little bit back to basic, like you even can I think that's an amazing thing. But yes, this is our society, and uh, the society is is warped. But change is happening, and I like to focus on the good. And I think that's the more important, where we're seeing today now, more clinicians, more researchers, more doctors are understanding. Uh, as the data comes out from these clinical trials, like um, the, um, David Feldman's Lean Mass Hyper Responder Trial, which just in its initial findings when it was scanning everybody who'd been on a long-term ketogenic dance uh, uh, diet, that they did not have the plaque build-up that they were supposed to and statistically have. So this thing like, oh, eating fat's going to give you a heart attack. No. What's going to give you a heart attack is that combination, the, you know, the, what, that was like the four horsemen of the apocalypse, um all together that's what's going to give you the heart attack um you know so don't blame um don't blame fat for what the sugar did for yeah exactly
0: yeah i agree all right so
1: we should get this We should get the Girl Scouts to do more jerkies. That's what I reckon. I'd
0: I'd buy buy it. There you go. You know, the other Girl Scout story that I liked much better than this one was uh, the year that Colorado first legalized cannabis and that enterprising young Girl Scout set up her table in front of the first cannabis shop. What an awesome (laughs) idea that was. (laughs) That'll win. I want to hire her. Yeah, I want her to become my marketing (laughs) manager. I thought that was hilarious. Um, So let's talk about another topic. I don't think we're going to have to spend a whole lot of time on it. Um, I I formed an opinion about this topic pretty early on. I've done more research. I haven't changed my mind. Um, But a company did reach out to me and and they wrote a nice letter. It was a CEO of the company, handwritten letter. This wasn't an email, mailed it all to me in a nice box with a bunch of products um, and I feel bad because I have a feeling uh, I'm gonna have to slam his products. But it's just my opinion. I want to get your take on this. Um, exogenous ketones. What are your thoughts?
1: All right, that's, that is that's a great question. So again, it is it is like just said. What is the why? Exogenous versus endogenous. So okay, maybe you're a pilot. Uh, maybe you're a trucker and maybe you're just starting and you don't want to have the keto flu because you're, you're going to say to yourself, Hey, I'm going to be, I'm going to be responsible here. So do you take, uh, exogenous, um, uh, ketones just to use as a crutch for a little while? Okay. Hmm. Can exogenous ketones have a signaling property in reducing down, um, inflammation, Yeah, some scientists beginning to show out that. Are you an elite athlete that wants to have high performance? You could potentially use that. Do you need it for weight loss? I am of the opinion, maybe not. Maybe not. Because you can produce more ketones from your own bodily fats or dietary fat than you can from exogenous ketones. Let's look at the price. You know, you could maybe, what, a, a serving is maybe five bucks for an exogenous um, uh, ketones, and that might last for you maybe three hours, uh, at peak four hours. Yet, if you're in a state of nutritional ketosis, one ounce shot of MCT can pop you up um, to the same extent at 1.5 or over 2 millimole um, uh, just by using MCT and being in a well-regulated yeah, diet. And if you're losing it just for weight loss, You want to use your dietary, your bodily fats, not to be ingesting additional. That's when I started on the adequate fat. Adequate fat, fat is a lever, protein is a goal, and carbs are an absolute, so I'll go through that again. There you go. Fat is lever. If you're using too much fat, you're not gonna metabolize your bodily fat, so you use that as a a lever when you're first starting. Protein is a goal, but don't fight it. If you're getting satiety from what you're eating, that's okay not to eat the rest of it on, on your plate. And that's, I mean, how many times I've had a massive steak, and there's no way I can eat my oh, way through that entire uh, steak, but I, 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 take it to, I take it to go. I, uh, but I could always eat chocolate cake. Now, chocolate cake, <laughs> I can eat all of it and go for a second.
0: Yeah, there's a lesson. Because there's, there's no
1: biofeedback. There's, 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 and what the lesson is, is satiety is a hormonal release of ghrelin, and that says, I'm done. But you do not get the hormonal release to say stop eating the chocolate cake, nor do you get that hormonal release to say stop drinking alcohol. But when you drink water, you can say I don't need to drink anymore because that's what we designed. Those two things is what short circuits the brain. The brain on sugar, it lights up the same dopamine centers as the brain on cocaine. And we come back to those things and that's why in this, a society that is addicted to carbohydrates, it is like lighting up the dopamine for that tiny pleasure center and is then causing a huge number of mental health issues. Jess, you've got little kids, you've been to kitty parties, when the cake comes out, what happens?
2: that is so funny that you brought this up because Kevin and I had this exact conversation about the kids with the, with the cake. But actually I was telling Kevin last week that, you know, at my daughter's first birthday party that she, and Kevin, uh, I think it was your, your nephew also pushed the cake actually off because when so they're yes. not used to having not used to having it and, and didn't know what to do with it. It's really interesting. But, but now, you know, as they're getting older and at least my daughter who, you know, who's in daycare is unfortunately getting the, the candy and the sugar and the, all the junk. And it's, it's really hard. It's really hard. It is. So coming back to that,
1: we know, we know that the child's going to have that issue. Now, what if that child has a mental health issue would exogenous ketones help that child? Probably better than giving cake for sure. Yeah. So you know yeah. when we when we start taking a look, like the Bazooki Foundation has put a, a, a war chest of forty five million dollars towards mental health and utilizing well regulated ketogenic diets for bipolar, schizophrenia, ADHD, depression, and anxiety, which we see prevalent through society. So it does exogenous ketones have a place and I think it does. It comes back to the why. Can you uh, target exogenous ketones just before uh, a woman that has maybe radiation therapy so that she can um, reduce down the inflammation and uh, give a little bit more protection Yes, Dr. Nisha Winter certainly um, uh, thinks so. So I think on this, there, there was the contention came in in exogenous ketos from multi level marketers and everybody trying to sling and make some money off it. But I think as we step back and see the, uh, the market mature, we'll see the science and we can decide when is the best place to apply this if I was a student and I was about to take my exams, would I want to give myself a bit more of a, of a ketone kick so that I could be fully focused in that flow state to be better? Sure, I think I would do that as a hack. So we find these biohackers as well, and we're going to see changes, not only in the exogenous ketones in the form of salts, um, but we're going to see it in the esters and diesters, uh, alcohols and acids. So I think it will be quite an interesting change to see uh, this as as it matures out from, from the science.
0: Well, I'm glad I asked. Um, and I agree with just about everything you said, but I think you gave me kind of another perspective on it. I, I agree elite athletes. I've seen the benefits there. Um, there may be some uses for this. I think I'm going to explore it a little more. Like I said, they did a nice job, wrote me a personal letter, sent me a bunch of products to try. Um, I think I'm going to do a little digging and try a couple and, and see, I don't know if it's something we would use enough to actually have in our store or not. Um, I might play around with it a little bit, though. Uh, You know, I've said from the very, very beginning, um, Brain Octane was my secret weapon. I I was just blown. Brain Octane Mm. is is Bulletproof's product, which is pure C8. It's not a, a blend of C8, C10. It's pure C8. And I'm just blown away by how fast I can produce ketones with that stuff. It takes about 20 minutes.
1: Yeah, but just be careful. Don't overdo the, um, the MCT oils. Otherwise, it can be disaster pants.
0: Yeah, <laughs> we, we, we warned people of that in the beginning. I was one of the lucky ones. I had none of that at all. I didn't have to kind of get used to it or anything. I was able to handle, I I do two tablespoons a day sometimes, two tablespoons of C8 in my coffee with two tablespoons of butter. Um, It's about a 500 calorie cup of coffee. Um, But I love starting my day that way. And and with C8, I, I produce ketones pretty easily. Um, I'm not sure. And I'm going to play around. I've never tried exogenous ketones. After I did the research, I never even bothered trying the products Um, since they sent me these. I I think I'm going to experiment and play around with them and I'll put my CGM on and I'll break out my keto mojo and we'll uh, we'll do some testing.
1: Yeah. And it comes back to the why. Why is the person doing it? Um, and and that uh, is the most, when we talk about bio-individuality, what is the motivation for the individual? You know, I don't know, all of your listeners, uh, are they all doing it for weight loss or are they doing it for pre-diabetes or type 2? or Are there other factors that's in, in, in their world? Um, I kn- knew when I was measuring for my ketones that you know, when I was between 1.1 and 1.7, that was my personal sweet spot yeah. for when I had I that joie de beef, When I was like, well, I was feeling good and I could take on the world. And uh, like that. But when I was lower, you know, then I get maybe more uh, depressive. Or if I got super high, I get edgy and hypermania, and that's when the team hates me, especially when yeah. I'm doing fast because I've got all this energy and I'm firing off Slack messages and emails and that like that. Um, and they're like, Oh well, during fast again
0: <laughs> You know, you you just may have helped me figure out why I don't like it when I go higher and I say I don't feel any better, but I do feel different and you just described it, I get too much energy and it starts to get edgy and I start to get restless and I can get aggravated really easily and impatient. That starts to be what happens to me if I get too high on the ketones.
1: Okay, now imagine this and you suffer from schizophrenia. So this can be the trigger for hypomania. And this is when we talk to the psychologists and psychiatrists, when they are working using nutrient psychiatry, this is the part where they say it's going to get worse before it gets better. We need to make sure that we work through this with you so you don't go into that hypomania area. And for the for the run-of-the-mill individual, it's just us a little bit edgy. We're going to end up cleaning the room and it's going to be absolutely fine or, or, vac- or doing the vacuuming or something like that. That's how it all manifests itself. So with people with mental health or a history of that, it becomes really important that the professional gets involved with that piece. You know, so that's, that's kind of like a very, I'm going to kind of like really put that piece out there. But it can have a profound change uh, for people with bipolar uh, and, and and the like, and you know, there's bipolar is, is suffered quite a, from a lot of people, and I think that somebody listening out there who might know somebody who's suffering from a mental health issue, realize, you know, it's not because it, they're crazy, it's because probably what they're eating has helped uh, manifest the crazies within them, and that the challenge, it's wonderful. The difference between uh, a bee and a queen bee is only the food.
0: Interesting. And only the food that yeah. is given to that bee. Interesting. So the
1: upregulation of epigenetics is being shown on that one thing within the beehive that we've all seen. And we all know that a well-regulated epigenetics can upregulate your epigenetics. So it, 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 what it does is it brings out the good in the individual. It brings out the best whilst pushing down the bad, whereas carbohydrates do the opposite to us.
0: Interesting. Yeah. All right. Well, I'm glad we went down that road. I think I actually learned a lot I, about I, I, a I uh, new I love perspective going down. on things. Yeah. All right, boy. We have uh, we have covered a lot of ground. Now the challenge for the three of us: how do we wrap this all up and tie it in a bow? We do have one more episode. I love the way we're doing this one. By the way, this one was so important. We knew once we released the first several episodes, the blood sugar work, the ketone work, that we are probably going to generate a lot of questions. So, um, Dorian, we've already cleared it with you. You've made yourself available. Jessica, I don't know if you'll be able to join us or not, but the third one, we're actually going to do the last part of this mini series live. I'm excited about that.
1: Yeah, that's great. Yeah, we are totally stoked to be doing it live because I know, having the QA and a that's the best thing you've, you've got. I agree. You know, the years of experience with, with, with Jessica as, as a clinical educator. Uh, so you can delve on into deeps on, on any of the questions and, Hey, you want to ask me a little bit about business? I'm, I'm happy to answer it. Um, but more than that, we just want to, share the love with
0: our tribe. Absolutely. So we're going to send out a form so people can submit questions ahead of time in case they can't be there. And if we have time, we'll go through those questions. So I'm excited. You know, there are some topics, and this is one of them that been this way for me over the years, that you can present all day long. And I could go right Six more presentations about ketones, and we could go through all those things. And yet at some point, people aren't going to get much more out of it. I, I think at some point with a topic like this, we need questions. You tell us what you need yeah. to know, and we'll help you with that info. There's just so much to cover. Yeah, Exactly. So I, I'm excited about that. I'm grateful that uh, you guys have agreed to take the time out and help us with that. I think our tribe is going to get a lot out of that. So with that in mind, knowing we still have more time, um, how do we kind of wrap up where we are now? Well, I think go out and a steak. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There you go. Go get those
2: cowboy revived.
0: That's right. <laughs> That's right. Good, good point. Let's just go eat it. Oh, one more point I want to make. and Jessica, you and I made this. um, Dorian, for a lot of years, we talked about keto, 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 keto. Our diet, the diet we heavily promoted, um, nutrient-dense keto, NDK. We focused really on nutrient density, organ meat, seafood, those kind of things. We wanted a a very high-quality keto diet. A lot of people believe that we've kind of shifted over the last year or so because they hear me use the word carnivore a lot more. And we do. And we're finding a lot of success with carnivore. And I think the biggest reason is it's just so simple. I mean, nutrient-dense keto, I have to do a lot of educating. Organ meat, seafood, why are we eating those? There's a lot to try to understand and to try to explain to somebody that a piece of meat sitting there, whether it's a ribeye or whatever it is, it's not always the same. I'd much rather see anybody eat any ribeye. I don't care if it came from a factory farm or not before they go eat all the carbohydrate garbage in the standard American diet. But ultimately I want them to eat a ribeye that was raised properly. It's good for us. It's good for the planet. It's good for the animals. It's good for everything. Um, But one of the things I want to keep reminding people, even though you hear me say the word carnivore a lot more and and we're working on a new diet called fermented carnivore, this is still keto. So we have not moved away from keto by any stretch of the imagination. A carnivore diet is a keto diet. You're going to produce ketones. You may need to add a little more fat once in a while. You got to be careful. You're not eating too many lean meats, but we are still huge believers in keto. I believe the human body needs to be in ketosis most of the time. Like you said, it is our default, but I want people to realize keto wasn't a fad that disappeared and got replaced by carnivore. Carnivore is keto.
1: Absolutely. And, and you can realize it's a spectrum. Uh, right. I, I, when you know, you've got 3-1 you've got keto diets, you've got 4-1 ratio keto diets, you've got dirty uh, keto diets, you've got clean keto diets, you've got carnivore, which is keto diet. It's just part of the spectrum, and it depends how you want to approach it. Now, I love to dine out. That's, that's my thing. I was in the food industry in, in, in New York City doing events, and I love the ceremony of food. Right. And so, you know, I want to eat and try many different things, but I want to do so in a state of uh, nutritional ketosis. For some people, it's very simple. They, they, if we can hold on to the idea of, of carnivore, great, that's easier. But what is the person's pocketbook? What is their way of life? What can they do when they're, they're traveling on, and on the road? Uh, are they going to have to go in to maybe an in and out Burger and just say you know I want a, a flying Dutchman four by four I think <laughs> is that, that's the code word for it where you don't get the bun.
0: Say that you know, again. I, it's a flying then, Dutchman I think four it, by it, four. What is that? I,
1: you know, in, in, in an in and out burger, there's there's the the menu that is not on the menu, and I think it's a four by four flying Dutchman is basically two patties with cheese in, 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 in between it, and you get a four by four. It's two of those that things fit together, and it's called a flying Dutchman. Okay. Uh, and you can do it. And if you do it animal style, they'll add onions to it. But there we go. It's kind of like but it's, it's very much a California thing. Um, but hey, I think that's okay. Just like you say, you know, it, that is better than having the Girl Scout cookie, for sure. And, and and I think, you know, quite often we get factious within our own communities, but realize that the tribe is really one here. Uh, it's just calling something by like a slightly different name because it, 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 it gets a better handle to it.
0: You know, you just reminded me of something I read the other day. Um, do you remember the... Um, when Morgan Spurlock did the um, McDonald's thing, where he ate only McDonald's for thirty days, mm-hmm. so he showed all his biomarkers yeah. ahead of time, and then he ate nothing but McDonald's for thirty days, and he just about killed himself. I mean, his biomarkers were such a mess at the end of that. He had gained a bunch of weight. It, it was a. I thought it was really interesting the way he approached it and did all that, and it really pointed out a lot of things. So the other day I just happened to see this headline where some guy is going to prove that he can lose a ton of weight eating nothing but McDonald's. And I thought, "Okay, he's going to do, you know, the burgers with no buns and that kind of stuff." No no big deal. Um kind of cool, you know, somebody'll learn something from that. And then I went and looked and he's not doing that. Do you know what he's doing? This this just makes me inc- insane. All he's doing is eating less at every meal. He's eating McDonald's every meal. He's just eating less than he normally does. So it's nothing more than Uh, the same old tired approach, calories in, calories out. He'll do it for 30 days. He'll lose 30 pounds or whatever he might lose. And if we go find him two months after that, he's going to have gained back 50.
1: Exactly. Just like the biggest loser when they went right. around the analysis on all of the biggest Losers, they, they didn't do it because it wasn't a sustainable lifestyle. Correct. Mm-hmm. And that's the key. You know, when I think when I think about it, I talk about I'm not on a ketogenic diet. I have a ketogenic lifestyle. This is the way I live and this is the way that I follow. And once people realize it's lifestyle, then it's really easy. And if you're in California and you want to go on in and get your 4 by 4 Flying <laughs> Dutchman as part of your lifestyle... I.
0: <laughs> I, I wish I would have learned that last month. I was just in California, and I would have made it a point to go order one of those. <laughs>
1: You'll be feel like everyone knows you're native when the moment you order
0: that, they'll go like, "Hey, who? <laughs> yeah, that's right, an insider. Yeah." <laughs> All right. Great stuff, guys. Um, I, I've learned a lot during this whole process, which I think is awesome. I know our tribe's going to learn a lot from this, and we're looking forward to that final episode where we'll be able to answer a lot of questions. So uh, I think we're going to wrap this one up for today. What One final chance. Any, any thoughts you want to close with? No, I... I...
2: I just encourage everyone to to have an open mind and try this. I mean, it's it, it there's oh, the positive effects of the mind, body, soul. Everything is just really incredible.
0: It, it is. It, it's I'll, too I'll, good I'll, to pass I'll leave it. Go ahead. Mm-hmm. I'll,
1: I'll leave it. With, I, I I like to be a bit of a keto jerfer. It's keto and just eat real food. Once it's simple like that, it makes life a little bit easier. There you keto go.
0: There you go. Here's, yeah. uh, so I'm <laughs> going to play devil's advocate a little bit there. I agree. Here's the problem I have. M- there are way too many people now that don't know what real food is. Ah, yes. There are a oh, lot of people <laughs> who, who absolutely believe when you say real food, you're talking about things like healthy whole grains. Mm-hmm right? We're talking about a lot of fruit. Fruit's healthy, right? We've been so brainwashed. So some things that people would say, well, if it's real food. It came from nature. It, it's a banana. It's a, it's a wheat, and we can turn it into bread or pasta. Isn't that real food? It's not, it wasn't. Yeah, you know, but, the, but
1: the banana wasn't the banana ah, until exactly. we
0: modified it exactly. from, from
1: its base heat. The apple wasn't the apple until we we modified it from its great birth. And if you consider the potato was from a small Andean region, and it only came across to us 400 years ago, (laughs) and corn (laughs) did not take over America until it was down in in the Andes. So we have revolutionized carbohydrates because in nature, carbs are really, really rare. Yes, thank And are. this is the fundamental that most people forget. Like you said, okay, I've, I've got my honeybees. Well, think, you back in the, in the day would have had to fight off all yes. of those wild bees to get at that honey. <laughs> yes. You would have only had those berries a short amount of time. And so when we look at our food system today, it is vastly different from what we are. And genetically, we have not had enough time to change for us to be able to eat the current foods that
0: we're eating. Absolutely. You know, one of the other mini-series I'm working on right now is a mini-series about oxalates, and we're doing it with Mm -hmm. Sally K. Norton, and her latest book is called Toxic Superfoods. And, you know, it's interesting. (laughs) You you take these superfoods. That term always applies to plants, the superfoods are always some sort of a plant. And what you just said about potatoes, all of these so-called superfoods, are they only exist in one tiny little place in the world. How would I have had access to that as a hunter-gatherer? How can this be so good for me? I, human beings never even really had access to it. A tiny handful of people who happen to live in that one area. And it turns out all of these, these superfoods are basically toxic they're loaded with all kinds of other stuff we don't want.
1: Well, because it's the oxalates, and you know, potatoes of the nightshade family, just remember nightshade, think about that for a second. um, uh, You know, these were giving off, uh, this is how they protect the plant, was having these toxins in it, it because the plant can't suddenly go running off when you go to to attack it, but it can actually give off a a flavonoid to try and stop another animal from eating it. Uh, it's it's a protection method, yeah. And yet we are now thinking of it is is a superfood. But if you really want to look at superfoods, look at the composition of a great steak. I mean, right there, it's got all the twenty-seven amino acids that we actually want there. If we take a look at all of the vitamins and minerals that is on and that is in a good quality steak, you know, that's a superfood, and it's fermented grass. That's why I like to say I like vegetarians, but I can't eat a whole one. <laughs>
0: yeah i like that that's uh that's a good way to put it all right i think it's also a, a great way to end this episode end it on a a laugh. <laughs> little bit of humor yeah um and and we will look forward to the big finale awesome
2: thank you very much
0: fantastic thanks, Kevin. all right appreciate- thanks so much keto mojo head on over to their website and check it out um If you need a Keto Mojo or Strips, we have all those in our store. They have tons of information on their site. And uh, we will finish this off with a great Q&A session. So I'm encouraging people, listen to the episodes when we release them. Have a pen and paper with you. When you listen, you're going to have questions, write them down, and then we'll have an awesome session where we answer everybody's questions.
2: Great. Looking forward to it. Thanks, Kevin.
0: Fantastic. you welcome. All right. We will talk to you again soon. Be safe. Be profitable. Right. Be fit and healthy. Always do the hard work and master the journey.